from the slowly composting studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. It is time for another rotting good episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. All those leaves clogging up our gutters can only mean two things. One, it's time to get out that ladder. And two, it's compost making time. On today's show, we'll answer your most common questions about turning fall leaves into garden gold. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, cats and kittens. Yes, potential guests are busy sucking and shredding, so we will take that heap and helping. Of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and gruesomely garrulous gasconades. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than you making free plant food right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another mysterious episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. I've been studying uh, William Shatner vocal impressions. Later on in the show, in the question of the week, we're going to answer all of your questions about compost, unless you have other ones. And that's it, right? Let's get to those fabulous phone calls. 888-492-9444. Liz, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. I'm so excited to talk to you. Ah, uh, we'll take care of that quick enough. Um, how <laughs> how are you? I'm great. I'm a long long time fan. And where are you? I am in Northern Virginia, outside of D.C. Oh, okay, Northern Virginia. Excellent. Um, you want to be more specific? Um, Herndon, Virginia. Oh, I know Herndon. I believe I've appeared yeah. appeared there many times. I bet. Yeah. So, um, what's up, Liz? Okay, so I've been sitting here looking out my now home office and very annoyed by these bagworms in my trees. Mm-hmm. And um, they're in high places where I can't get to them. The ones I could get to them, we kept those out. Mm-hmm. So, my question to you was, I had purchased something a while ago. It's called BioAdvance Protect and Seed, and it, the idea was that it absorbs into the tree and I guess kills the bugs. But I didn't put it down in the spring because I didn't want to kill the cicadas. So my question is, um, would this be something that you would recommend? And would I put it down now or in the fall? Um, I don't think I would recommend it. It sounds like uh, a chemical weed and feed, despite the cute bio name. It's, yeah, Bio Advance is a product, a um, brand. Yeah. <laughs> but it's actually... but yeah, it's supposed to protect from bugs and feed. Okay, good, good, good. Can you return it? <laughs> it's the, it literally is still in the box, but I think I've waited too long. <laughs> okay, well. So so what would you say to do about the, the backgrounds? Anything? Well, you've already begun. You've cut some. Oh, oh, we should explain to people who've never seen this. Um, oh, they're awful. Well, but they're ingenious. Bagworms are caterpillars. Um, almost anything with the worm after it is a caterpillar. And what they do, um, as soon as they're old enough, 
they eat and regurgitate the plant parts of the plant they're on. And they keep building up this nest of the same material as the plant. So, and, and they prefer evergreens and especially junipers. And um, they look like pine cones. I think everybody who's had them thought uh, the first year, oh, they're just pine cones. It's funny where you live. Um, because the first time I saw them in the wild, so to speak, was at the Dulles Convention Center. Uh, ah, not, okay. not, very close. Yeah, not far from you, not far from the airport. And um, I wasn't sure what they were. So I pulled off a bunch and took them inside and um, cut one open. And, oh, little wormies. So I showed them <laughs> I showed them to the people there in northern Virginia appears to be a hot spot because they had all seen them. Yeah, yeah. And they hang on the tree and theoretically the um the string that they attach to the tree is as strong as uh, a high test fishing line. You know, and wow. one of the advices is to cut beyond that to make sure it comes off the tree. So you prune off the um, uh, the bag hanger as well as the bag. And then, of course, you know, you said you've already gotten the low-hanging fruit, right? Right. Well, you know. Yeah, these are way, way high. I, there's no way to get up there. Oh, well, yes, there is. But you're not going to go up there. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, um, Insecticides in general are not very helpful here. But again, worm equals caterpillar. What's the old organic caterpillar that's been around, must be 100 years now? B.T., Bacillus thuringiensis, the the old original form of B.T. If you spray it on a tree and caterpillars begin to eat the tree, their stomachs will stop working almost immediately, and then they will die. So you get yourself a pressure washer. You make sure it's nice and clean. Uh, you mix the BT with water as recommended in the tank. And ask your state extension office um, when the emergence time is. They, they, they'll all come out at the same time of year. So you get ahead of that by spraying it, um, say, a week before that. And then, you know, two or three times, you know, once a week, um, you know, especially after a huge rainstorm, like the ones we've been gifted with so much lately. (laughs) I hate, you know, the thing I hate most about... um, these heavy rains is the squirrels go water skiing on the <laughs> road outside my house and they make dirty <laughs> gestures at me. So BT harms nothing else. It can't harm you, your pets, birds, toads, frogs, wombats. Um, the only thing. <laughs> Where do you get BT? Oh, BT. You got uh, any independent garden center um, online. It's very inexpensive, okay. and luckily, you don't have to remember Bacillus thuringiensis. What you do have to remember <laughs> is you just want BT. You don't want BTI because that's 
to prevent mosquitoes from breeding and you don't want BTG. Um, that's for Japanese beetles, both in the larval form and the adults. But BT itself, which is sold under the brand names Dipel, D-I-P-E-L, and Thor aside for the town of Thorin, where the material was first um, discovered. Um, matter of fact, real quick, um, people would travel for miles and miles uh, to get bread from a certain bakery because that bread never had worms in it. And they thought, oh, these people are doing the most amazing things. No, they were filthy dirty. They were processing, <laughs> they were processing the wheat with mud on it, soil on it. And in that soil was this naturally occurring bacillus. So when the, quote, worms, again, caterpillars, started to eat, they just, they didn't make it. So that's where um, the thorin comes in on thor thoricide. Okay? T-H-O-R? T-H-O-R. T-H-U-R-I-C-I-D-E. Got it. Okay. They're readily available, um, again, been around for decades upon decades. So Awesome. So I shouldn't do that now. I should wait till the spring. Oh, yeah, they're not emerging now. But this is a good time to get a fact sheet from your local extension service. And in your mm -hmm. case, it's going to be even more accurate because they are such a, a notorious pest where you live. Right. Okay? Yes, they are. They're just so ugly. So thank you. That's terrific. I really appreciate that. Hey, that's why I'm here. <laughs> Have a great day. You, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Little bug, 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 little so there aren't too many people who uh, who still remember all the characters. When I was in uh, Catholic high school, all boys, um, I was urged by a friend of mine uh, to work on the shows. We did a big musical every year. And I said, I, I was very awkward at the time. I didn't like the way I appeared. And I said, why? And he goes, the girls from Hallahan and Little Flower come in to play the female parts. And I went, we can meet girls? Whoa. And <laughs> so I was the understudy for Nicely Nicely in, huh. in Guys and Dolls. You know, hey, Nicely, how you doing? Nicely, Nicely. You know, it was a pretty easy part. There were two songs, but they were like for non-singers. All right. So that makes it pretty easy then. So where is Nathan? 
I'm in Yorktown, Virginia, at the mouth of the Chesapeake. Oh, okay. Boy, the Chesapeake wanders all over the place. It really does. And so you're in Yorktown, mouth of the Chesapeake. Yeah, that's the last major battle of the uh, of the Revolutionary. And yeah, okay, all right. Um, so you're deep southern Virginia. Yeah, pretty much. We're in far southeastern Virginia, uh, right in the Hampton Roads area. Uh, Hampton Roads doesn't refer to roads. It actually refers to the waterways. Uh, but, yes, in, in far, far southeastern Virginia, uh, Zone 8A. Hampton Roads. I have mm-hmm. spent a week for the past 35 years renting a house in Sandbridge. Which, oh, that's a beautiful area. Oh, my God. It's so gorgeous. And every year we would make a trip to beautiful town downtown Pungo. So, oh, you know. oh it's they've a, got it, a great strawberry festival there every year. There's mm-hmm. a military aviation museum uh, not far from there where they have some vintage World War One and Two planes. It's just absolutely, uh, it's a it's a gem. They and also most people never hear about it. They also fly blackbirds and other stealth fighters over the beach in the summertime. <laughs> yeah, right out of Oceana. Yep. All right, man. What can we do for you in a beautiful part of? And I'm I'm going to keep going because as you go south from Sandbridge, you know there's that giant uh, refuge for wild oh, birds. Yeah. yeah. And by the time you're out of the refuge, you're in the Carolinas. Yes, you are. It's uh, there. You cannot uh, go by by car down on the very coast there, but you can go by foot. If you want solitude, that's the place to go. You used to be able to go by horse. You can still go by horse. Okay, you know, because they can outrun the mosquitoes. <laughs> Only just. Yeah. All right, Nate. What can we do you for? Well, I've heard you talk a lot about uh, the solution to weeds of a flamethrower. Yes. And I think it sounds great, but mm-hmm. seeing as how most of the flamethrowers that I've seen, you know, are Saving Private Ryan-style flamethrowers, <laughs> I think that might be a little bit of overkill. Not for bamboo. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you pretty much need that for bamboo. But I'm talking about regular garden variety weeds. So I'm... I'm wondering if there's a uh, product or a style that you would recommend that would work better Absolutely. for uh, households and not clearing out pillboxes. Absolutely. Uh, Burns-O-Matic, the people who make the wel- little welding torches and stuff, introduced yeah. this concept with what they called the yard and garden torch. Um, it hmm. uses a camp stove-sized propane bottle, the little one. And it's shaped like a shepherd's hook, and you screw the propane into the short end, and then there's an electronic ignition halfway down, and the flame comes out the long end. So not only do you get to take uh, military revenge on your weeds, but you're standing up the whole time. Yeah, that's a lot better. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if burns still makes it. I think they sold the rights to a couple of other companies. Uh, but if you go on that website named after that big river somewhere, um, you'll find a number of different types. And I recommend uh, you stick with the shepherd's hook style. You'll find other ones that are really clumsy. But I have three of them, and they're just fabulous. Do you have any children? 
I do. Both of them are in high school in uh, ninth and eleventh grades. Boys, so uh, they might actually girls. be willing to come out. And, uh, older one's a boy, younger one's a girl. The boy will pay you to use a flamethrower. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Yeah, sure. And pretty much all of the boys want to. Uh, all they want to do is light things on fire. So there you go. I'll be lining up for it. You'll devote them to a cleaner way of pyromania. Yeah. Okay. Um, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll drop by next time I'm in Sandbridge. We'll go to Blue Peaks. Mike, you really should. I'd love to sh- show you around this area. Oh, it's you don't need to show me around. I love it. Okay. It's absolutely beautiful. Or I'll meet you down at the Baja. Well, maybe How's I'll that? take you into my beehives with me and show you uh, what life as a beekeeper in southeastern Virginia is like. It should be good. All right, yeah. Nate. Okay. Thanks a lot, Mike. My pleasure. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. All right. Bye now. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that Horticultural Quizzo at the PHS Pop-Up Garden is back. This Tuesday, September 28th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Pop-Up Garden at Broad and South Streets in Philadelphia. This wonderful event has been preempted the last couple of years by COVID, but we're back with the funniest quizzo host on South Street, me. The Pop-Up Garden is enjoying itself with lots to see, eat, and drink. Come with a group of friends to form your own team or make friends at the site and form a wild card group. It's all safely outdoors, and yes, we do expect you all to wear a mask, but we'll give bonus points for the best masks. That's Tuesday, September 28th from 6 to 8 p.m. at Broad and South Streets in Philadelphia. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Coming up a little bit later, we are going to answer many of your questions about composting. And just to let you know up front, yes, the leaves must be shredded, okay? And now, back to your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Chris, welcome. To you bet your garden. Hi, Mike. Uh, I'm calling from Parsons, Kansas. Uh, what and, part of Kansas? Uh, Southeast Kansas. Southeast Kansas. Okay. Um, uh, yes, I listen to your show on KRBS. Excellent. Out of Pittsburgh. Um, I know we were scheduled to talk about something, but you, the last show I heard from you, you dissed the persimmon tree, and I had <gasps> to bring that up before we. Oh, the you pucker remember dissing fruit. the persimmon tree? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> Uh, Bob Rodale was a huge fan of native trees. And around the same time I was editor of Organic Gardening magazine, Bob built or, you know, created this working tree farm, which uh, Bob described as trees um, that do a job of work. And his two favorites were the two native uh, American, quote, fruit trees, which were pawpaws and persimmons. And pawpaws, I, I thought, tasted wonderful. You know, sure. more seeds than watermelon. Um, but especially for me, that just means I get to spit and not be uh, rude. Uh, the persimmon, I don't get it. So 
Okay. Change my mind. Tell me why I am wrong. <laughs> well, it is a native tree. I think I think as a fruit, it might be more apt as an American fruit than the pawpaw. I mean, the pawpaw, as delicious as it is, it's sort of a tropical taste in a temperate climate. Yes. Whereas the persimmon, you know, American character, it's probably inedible unless it's ripe. <laughs> so um, that's, that's... And I've also heard that there's a... There's an instrument maker in uh, North Carolina who's using persimmon wood as a tone wood because it's re- related to ebony. So they're um, using it in their fretboards and tone rings on a banjo. Yes. You know, so. Yes, absolutely. It is an, um, where we are broadcasting from. We're not that far from the headquarters of Martin Guitar. And, right. you know, you visit there and you see all these crazy woods that they use. So... For lumber, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things I did with uh, harvest a persimmon tree a couple of years ago, I'd found that Native Americans used to sort of extract the pulp and put it into sheets and dry it as like a fruit ribbon. So you get rid huh. of all the astringent skin and the seeds, and it keeps for a long time. So that's well, I tell you, I to can't to... wait to spend the rest of my life doing that to get one uh, fruit leather. <laughs> right. <laughs> Anyway, uh, well, I, I, I had written you about um, an observation I made about bird feeding last winter. Oh, go ahead. Um, I, do, I do keep a, a bird feeder, but it's mainly sort of cable television for the cats. Uh-huh. But, um, last, last fall, the lawn looked kind of worse than usual. I think it had been drier last year than it has been this year. And so there were a lot of little patchy spots, and I thought, well, what's the, what's the best way to handle this? And I thought, well, I can just stop mowing and let the grass go to seed, and then it'll seed itself. So, you know, less mowing, no seed to mess with, and then – so I tried it. Yeah. But then in the winter months, all I would see out there was just flocks of birds eating eating in the lawn and I hadn't noticed that in years past. Right. That's... when I had, you know, diligently shorn everything, you know, short and made it look pretty. So I think I was feeding the birds by letting the grass grow. Okay. But, so I have know, a couple I'm, of I'm waiting for other opinions. Um I got a couple of comments for you. Um what percentage of the feed was sunflower seeds? Oh, in my feeder or out out in the no in the lawn. I didn't put anything. I was just letting the grass grow. Seed. What percentage of the feeder was sunflower seeds? Oh, I would say five percent. Not a lot of sunflower Maybe. seeds. No, no. It was it's the bargain basement seed. Oh God, <laughs> you know, uh, first of all, you shouldn't be feeding that. Um, Oh, boy. Yeah, I'd love to say it, but I like working on public radio. Uh, You shouldn't be feeding birds that junk because it fills them up without having the nutrition. Now, if you've been... It had millet and radish seeds, I think. Radish? Um, God, there must have been a sale. Oh, maybe it's Milo. Oh, yeah, sure. Maybe it's Milo. I know him. Okay. Anyway, um, cheap seed is not good for birds. Birds. The only thing that's worse is stale bread. You know, that image of people throwing bread out and the birds eating it because they get filled up, but there's no nutrition in it for them. 
So that's that's a bird killer. As are bird feeders in general. Um, we've had a situation, oh, for a while now, people are saying it's over, where the birds were getting infected uh, by um, just congregating too much and too much bird poop. Right. And they were getting these horrible distortions of their eyes and going blind. My advocacy for bird feed, which the Humane Society is also begging people to do, is do not feed birds in the spring or the summer. They might lose the ability to find wild food. And there's plenty of wild food out there. Birds were doing great before we started setting up feeders. So, you know, I know people, I know people like to watch, but again, we're trying to control nature. We're trying to dominate nature. Nothing good ever comes of that. Um, In the spring and summer, when sometimes water is scarce, uh, bird baths are great. And in the winter, I'm totally in favor of hanging suet feeders. Um, right. You know, because uh, the winter birds that don't migrate, they can use all the help they can. But you, um, y- you actually did an example of kind of citizen science. And yes, they were feeding off the seed heads of the various grasses that were coming up. And I'm totally in favor of that because that's what I want birds to do in the spring and summer is find seed. Um, Actually, I want them to find a lot of bugs, too. But um, the only issues I have um, with what you're doing is, number one, you realize that's a tick form in there. It's a what? Tick form. T-I-C-K. The guys who like to give you lemon lime disease. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it is also a hiding place for mice, rats, and voles. So there are downsides right. to it. Right. I mean, th- this grass doesn't get that high before it starts to put out the seed. So probably around, you know, sometime this month, last year is when I stopped mowing, and more or less all the energy that the lawn had left to do was to put out seeds so it really wasn't you know as tall as a tick forest maybe well uh, can can you clarify something about the about the recommendations about feeding because you said the humane society was only saying not to feed them in the spring and summer which i don't right or fall but only to feed are you're saying to only feed them in in the winter and only feed them suet and the Humane Society is saying the same thing? Yes, or... because okay. <clears throat> suet is incredibly high energy. And, right. you know, all season birds, like the little chickadees, which are tremendous uh, pest-controlling birds, you know, they need those extra calories, the extra fat, and they're not spilling seed. Um, spilled seed can be a great attractor of mice and rats and voles. What, you know, why wouldn't they come? It also causes squirrel problems. Evil squirrels will in, you know, I like, I like squirrels. (laughs) Okay. We're done. My only problem, I, 
Well, Darren, we're a little <laughs> short offered, this week, I, folks. I offered uh, the birds suet last year, and the only creature I saw eating the suet was a possum, and they loved it, of course. You're a weird guy. Uh, um, I, Southeast Kansas is a strange place. That's I'm hearing that. Can you get to <laughs> Wichita or something? You know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, don't wish that on. Don't wish that on your worst enemy. <laughs> Teresa, how do these calls get through? We got a squirrel lover in here. All right, listen, we're out of time um, for real, and I gotta go. But um, that's the news. Okay. Okay. Thank All right. you. Thanks, Chris. Brianna, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike, for having me. Well, thank you for being had, Brianna. Where are you? I am in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Uh, you know that that's one of my favorite places. You know, when I visit there, yeah. I'm lucky to get out alive in a good way. <laughs> All right. What can, what can we do you for? So uh, a few years ago, my husband uh, built a wonderful raised bed for me. Mm -hmm. um, following the Mike McGrath rules of raised bed. Um, uh, I hope so. Creation. <laughs> Yeah, um, and it's been wonderful. Um, I am basically able to grow greens nearly year-round. Um, I've got some strawberries in there, and um, I had just planted some fall carrots. Um, and so while watering these young seedlings the other day, I noticed that there were ants just piling out of the sides of this raised bed. Yeah, they're not used um, to water in Oklahoma. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so what I haven't is had this? any problems. What in is the last this stuff? Years. I'm getting wet. <laughs> yeah, I was giving we were having really hot weather and I was giving everything a really good soak. Um so these guys started pouring out and um you know, we have a ton of ants on our property. I don't have a problem with ants. Um but I don't really want them living in my raised bed. I hear you. Um, now, so I'm hoping you have some tips to to get these guys to move on. Now, these aren't fire ants. No, these are just regular brown yard ants. Yeah, I fine. Really I mean, exactly there's called. only like 18,000 species of ants, so you know, <laughs> you're forgiven. Um, have they damaged anything? No. Okay. Not that I can tell. You got too much time on your hands, girl. Um, yeah. Now, ants can be a problem in very specific situations. Um, as rose growers know, Ants will actually protect the aphids uh, that love to attract uh, roses, especially new buds. And mm -hmm. they will, there is a wonderful film, uh, macro, micro, macro something. Anyway, it's been years since I saw it, but it is all close ups of nature. Now, of course, you see that every day with Richard Attenborough telling you what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. You know. The polar bear mother will not get a good meal today as her cubs are too playful. But <laughs> this film had great footage of ladybugs flying in to eat the aphids on the roses and ants coming up and boxing them, just hitting them. It was amazing. Oh, wow. So the ants protect um, the aphids because they feed on their sweet frass. Woo! Yeah, honeydew, yeah, honey don't. Um, so 
Otherwise, they can sometimes steal seed, freshly planted seed. But if they're not bothering the strawberries, um, I would say you don't have a problem. Ants aerate the soil. Um, they eat uh, smaller parasites and things underground. And if you don't, now, I would expect them to be on the strawberries if there was injury to the strawberries. If one had a lesion or something, I would expect them to then feed on the damaged strawberry. But it's unlikely that they're going to go after a good one. So when people report that ants ate their fill-in-the-blank, I say the, the fruit was probably already damaged and they're just taking advantage. So I, you know, I personally would not worry about it. But uh, that's my attitude towards a lot of things in life, and I'm generally paying my bills late because of it. If you want to get rid of them um, in the best possible way, safest, uh, you need to go mm -hmm. out and find ant traps or ant bait whose active ingredient is boric acid. Um, okay. bo boric acid is unique in that Worker ants will feed, and it comes in a sweetened form, so the ants are attracted to it. So the worker ants will take this sweet stuff back to the nest and feed it to the queen. Nothing happens for like the first five days. But on day seven, say, the first worker ant to find this stuff goes, I don't feel so good. And the colony collapses, especially the queen. And as we all know, when the queen of the house is not in charge, the men are just desperate. They're just running around into each <laughs> other, you know, going to tractor poles, you know, and don't have time to bother anybody. So because we're outside, however, what I want you to do if you use the boric acid traps, and you can read more about this in the answers to your garden questions at the show's website, uh, get a cardboard box and cut little cartoon mouse holes at the bottom so the ants can mm -hmm. come and go and take the uh, poison, slow-acting poison, back to the nest, and bees and other pollinators won't be attracted to it. Okay. That was, okay, that was my concern. Okay. So first, there's nothing wrong, and second, here's how to get rid of it. Okay. How would I be able to tell if they're, would they damage? So I would just look for damage on the actual crops well, if they were. you know, leafcutter ants would probably go after your Damaging, lettuce, yeah. but yeah, I don't think you have those. And again, ants don't really damage crops. If anything, again, if you see ants on something, it was pre-damaged by evil squirrels okay. or something like that. Okay. All Wonderful. right. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Say hi to all my friends there. I'll be back when all this is over. Will do. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that Horticultural Quizzo at the PHS Pop-Up Garden is back. This Tuesday, September 28th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Pop-Up Garden at Broad and South Streets in Philadelphia. This wonderful event has been preempted the last couple of years by COVID, but we're back with the funniest Quizzo host on South Street, me. The pop-up garden is enjoying itself with lots to see, eat, and drink. Come with a group of friends to form your own team or make friends at the site and form a wild card group. It's all safely outdoors, and yes, we do expect you all to wear a mask, but we'll give bonus points for the best masks. 
That's Tuesday, September 28th from 6 to 8 p.m. at Broad and South Streets in Philadelphia. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll answer lots of your questions about compost. And yes, the leaves must be shredded, okay? They must be. That's all. And now back to your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Vicki, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, Mike. How you doing? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking. <laughs> how is Vicki? Vicki's doing pretty good. It's a little warm now in eastern North Carolina. Okay. We had a nice pretty fall last week but it's gotten hot again same thing here in pennsylvania it's above 90 outside right now yeah yeah and um eastern north carolina how far are you from the water uh as the crow flies probably about 90 miles oh that's no fun <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> all right what can we do for vicky in the carolinas <clears throat> Well, the last two summers, I have not been able to get my tomatoes to produce. Okay. And this summer, I had two other neighbors that couldn't get them to produce either. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder, you know, has it gotten too hot for tomatoes in eastern North Carolina? <laughs> how did the How did the leaves look? They look good. I'm I'm familiar with um, tomato wilt. And they did not get that tomato wilt at all. Okay, good, good. Um, you know, there's like, you have like 350 tomato diseases. So, you know. Uh, really? Yeah, but if the leaves are green and healthy, then the issue is heat stress. Anytime okay. that, anytime the temperature climbs above 92, 93 degrees Fahrenheit, the pollen on the tomato flowers fries and cannot produce fruit. So there, okay. there's a couple ways to respond to this. Um, when do you typically put your tomatoes out? Um, well, usually by um, Good Friday. No, yeah, after Good Friday. Okay. Um, do they so that could be anywhere from the middle of March to the middle of April. Yeah, I know. That's a wild one. Um, where yeah. do you do you buy plants? Do you raise your own? Yeah, no, I buy plants. And where do you get them? Um, usually from 
the big box stores. Okay, well, you got to... from an independent farmer. Yes. Um, it's, it's a mixture of both. Yeah, well, you got to get away from the big box stores because they, they sell the same tomatoes everywhere in the country, whereby a local independent garden center or a farmer will already have varieties that are somewhat heat resistant. So uh-huh. I want you to do two things. First, I want you to go up. Oh, do I hear a dog? Yeah, my dog is wanting to come in. <laughs> <laughs> and what kind of dog? She's a golden retriever. Oh, my goodness. He'll never stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. What's his name? Zoe. Joey? Zoe. Zoe? Like Zoe Bowie? Yeah, yeah Z-O-E-Y. Okay. All right. This call gets weirder every second, Vicky. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so the first thing I want you to do is go on the Internet and look up heat-resistant varieties. Okay. They're probably not going to be what you're used to growing, um, but these ones that are actually bred for southern climates can take an extra five, maybe even seven degrees of heat and still pollinate. So okay. you, you want to be limiting yourself to those varieties, and you don't have to buy them from the online supplier, but write all the names down. Right, okay. And then those are the ones you're going to be looking for. In addition, is there any spot you can plant them that gets afternoon shade? Um, yeah, I have, I have a... Um... A raised three, actually three raised beds in the backyard that get afternoon sun. No, no, I said afternoon shade. I, that's what I meant, afternoon shade, yeah. Okay. They get morning sun and afternoon shade. That is perfect for okay. your region. So look up, okay. up heat-resistant varieties. I'm just going to throw something out there. Um, you know, there is a... A catalog called Totally Tomatoes, and I think they have Uh a whole big heat-resistant section. And in terms of other catalogs, you want to be looking at Park Seed as opposed to Burpee, just because of where you are. You want to be buying Southern. And if you buy heat-resistant varieties bred for the South, they get some afternoon sun, then you can embarrass your neighbors next season. Okay. All right. Okay, great, great. Thank you so much, Mike. My pleasure, Vicky. You take care. You take care, too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, it is inevitable. It also always happens. It's time for the question of the week, which we're calling questions about compost. Lily in Milwaukee writes, why does my compost bucket smell so putrid? I added some soil, and now it smells even worse. I don't have a real compost bin, so I use a five-gallon bucket with a tightly fitted lid. Oh, dear. This is one of the biggest rookie mistakes in the wonderful world of composting. Kitchen waste alone does not make good compost. It just makes a stinky, putrid mess. If you wish to recycle your kitchen waste outdoors, you need a professionally made compost bin that has a tightly locking lid 
to exclude vermin like raccoons, and you need the bulk of the raw ingredients to consist of, quote, well-shredded dry browns like shredded leaves. And yes, yes, the leaves must be shredded. Stop asking me. Thank you. Or you can recycle your kitchen waste indoors with a worm bin. Specialized worms, known as red wigglers, the Cadillac of worms, will turn that kitchen waste into fabulous fertilizer known as worm castings. I recommend using a professionally made bin and adding a good amount of shredded black and white newsprint, which is the essential bedding the worms require, to cover the garbage. And yes, the newsprint must be shredded too. Stop asking me. Hey, Frank in Cherry Hill writes, I found a bag of organic tomato and vegetable food in my garage from last year. It has a distinct smell of ammonia. I love these kids. I still use it in the garden. If not, can I put it in my compost tumbler with shredded leaves? No to the garden, but yes to the composter, Frank. In the earliest days of composting, farmers were urged to add chemical fertilizers to their compost piles because the experts were dubious that a finished product that looked like soil could feed plants. Then came the work of Sir Albert Howard, J.I. Rodale, and a few other mavericks, and people soon realized that the miracle of composting did not require chemical fertilizers. In fact, those fertilizers tended to screw the process up. But you have an organic product that has gone somewhat bad. Ammonia smell equals excess nitrogen but it still possesses other useful natural fertilizers. You can either mix it into a big open pile of shredded fall leaves or use your tumbler. For best results, a tumbler should be completely filled with raw ingredients, mostly shredded fall leaves, and yes, they must be shredded. Ah, the voice is in my head. And it should be tumbled until done. This is a process known as the batch method. Continually adding more material to the mix just slows the process down. You can even add that old organic fertilizer to an existing batch of half-done material as long as you add more shredded leaves, and yes, they must be shredded, to the mix and continue to tumble or turn for a while. Pete in Wilmington, Delaware writes, I just read your book on compost. I found it concise and very helpful. I have a few questions I thought you might be able to answer. Why would someone not use 100% compost as the soil in the garden? Well, when I started out, my beds were half compost and half native soil that I had raked up to help form the beds, and that worked great. Over the years, I followed my own advice to simply add a fresh two inches of compost to the beds every spring, and that worked great at first. But over the course of decades, I found that the beds were getting, for lack of a better word, heavy, and that's when I entered into an intense relationship with perlite that continues to this day. Perlite, a natural mined volcanic glass that gets popped into little white ball-like structures and giant ovens 
greatly improves drainage by providing little spaces throughout your soil that allow for the passage of air and water. Perlite structure of little cracks and crevices also holds water during wet times and releases that moisture slowly as the soil dries out. That precious perlite is a godsend at improving drainage in areas that typically have lots of rain, like my Pennsylvania and Petey's Delaware. Number two, I think we're still talking about Petey. If the ideal carbon to nitrogen ratio for compost is between 25 to 1 and 30 to 1, what is the ideal ratio of calcium, phosphorus, and potassium? We're talking apples and oranges here, Petey. The CN, carbon to nitrogen ratio, that makes the best compost and makes it the fastest is indeed 25 to 30 parts of dry brown carbonaceous material like shredded fall leaves to every single part of wet green nitrogen-rich material like spent coffee grounds, horse or poultry manure, or kitchen waste. Calcium, phosphorus, and potassium are nutrients that, when seen as lacking, are often applied directly via fertilizers which are labeled with their unique ratio of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, the famed NPK scale. Although chemical companies like to describe things like 10-10-10 as balanced, they are not. No plant wants equal amounts of those nutrients. The actual desirable ratio for the vast majority of plants is 1-3-2 because this is a ratio that means 264 would also be fine. If the plant food in question also provides calcium, it will be listed separately. Three to 5% is ideal. Note, with the exception of calcium, I rely on my compost to provide all the nutrients my plants need, and for the calcium, we save up eggshells all winter long. Well, that sure was some good information about composting correctly. Now, wasn't it? Luckily, you can read that article over again at your leisure or your leisure because the question of the week always appears in print at the Gardens Alive website, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be, say it with us, kitties, youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you'll always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to mangle my leaf mulcher if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse of a question teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please include your location or the process will be tedious and you won't be happy. You'll find all of this contact information plus answers to your garden questions 
audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of recent shows. What do you want? Eggs in your beer? Oh, we got it. Because we also have links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at that website, YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when Superman was exposed to red kryptonite and accidentally gave him the keys to the Fortress of Solitude. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is always cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and send us your fascinating garden photos at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our new peerless princess of profound production is the terrific Teresa Radke, I think. <laughs> well, I know it's Teresa. It's going to take me a couple of months to get her last name right. Our audio editor is the always lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director of direction is Javier Diaz. Our producer in charge of productive production is Matt, with one T, Mezzer. Our usual gang of idiots for this show may or may not include Jazzy Jeff Frederick, the esteemed Eric Werner, Zach the Tack Wisniewski, and that other Jake, a.k.a. Morris the Cat. Why is our beloved CEO Tim Fallon like the White Rabbit? Because he's always late, late, late for a very important date. Plus, I caught him trying to nibble my lettuce last week. Hey, I'm your host, Mike McGrath. And I'll be outside shredding leaves and soaking up the wonderful weather of autumn until I see you again next week. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. The leaves are falling, the garlic is planted, the lettuce is growing, and if you're lucky, the tomato plants are finally dead. I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, we might just talk about monarchs. Maybe. Plus your fabulous phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden. Thank you.